Hey everyone, Steve here. This audio that we're going to play for you was a part of a monthly webinar series that Halftime Institute does. And so Halftime, Doug Piper from Halftime, interviewed John. And it was such a great conversation that we wanted to play it for you. And uh, if what you hear sounds interesting to you, subscribing to these webinars, you can go to halftimeinstitute.org slash blog and you can see past ones and if you go to the events tab at halftimeinstitute.org you'll see the upcoming uh, webinar events and we'll have those links in the show notes so enjoy this conversation between doug piper and john ramstead so welcome to the halftime alumni series this is a new series of webinars where we are going to have the opportunity to sit down and talk to a halftime alumni, hear their stories and their progress on their journey. Today we're talking to John Ramstead of Denver, Colorado, and John has a fantastic story to tell. We've had a couple of conversations before the webinar, and I've attended also some of John's presentations, and this John just has some amazing stories and is very inspiring, so I know you're going to enjoy this. So for those of you that don't know me, and probably most of you don't, I'm Doug Piper. I was, I'm a halftimer just like you. I was actually part of the 2015 Columbia, South Carolina Halftime Roundtable, and this was led by Lloyd Reeb and Bill Bantz. And these webinars have kind of been one of my low-cost probes that I guess is getting, getting more high-cost <laughs> but as I get more serious into it. But this has become a part of my journey. So, John, thank you. Appreciate you joining us today. And I can't wait to hear some brief glimpses of how you transitioned from enlisting in the Navy to a fighter pilot, to an entrepreneur, Fortune 500 management team, board chair of all these companies. My gosh, can you give us just a little idea on what life was before halftime? I can't, it just, it's phenomenal what it is now. Well, before halftime, you know, interesting. Uh, I always had a dream since I was a kid to go in the Navy. My dad served in the Navy in World War II. My grandpa had immigrated here, Doug, from Norway in 1910 and then could barely speak English and enlisted to fight for the army in Europe for World War I. And I got to that, just always had this huge made a huge impression on me. So I always knew I wanted to go in the Navy and uh, be a fighter pilot, and I was able to do that. And there's a lot of stories around that whole part of my world. But, you know, one of the things that I learned during that part of my life was more about myself, actually looking back on it, right? You're in situations every single day where you are absolutely feel like you're being stretched beyond your ability to perform your limits, uh, landing on the boat at night, flying in combat, uh, a lot of different just situations. And there was always people around me that were sewing into me. They were mentoring me. They believed in me more than I believed in myself at times. They saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. Just a lot of the ways that I was raised actually going into that environment, believe it or not, I had a really low self-image and just really even struggled with could I even compete and actually succeed in this. But I had some other you know, people in my life encouraging me to just keep taking these small steps forward. And I ended up at the uh, Flying in Combat in Desert Storm and uh, 
At the end of that, I got orders, Doug, to go to Top Gun. Couldn't have been more excited about life. And what happened was I was playing softball, and I got hit with a line drive in the right eye, and I had nerve damage, and I was done. I lost my medical. And the Navy said, this is 95. They were drawn down the military, and they said, thanks for your service. Don't let the door hit you on the way out. And I was out on the street, and I had no idea what was next. I got to tell you, I was absolutely despondent. I think just looking back on it now, I was probably severely depressed. I had had my dream, my passion just ripped away from me and had nothing to land on. I grew up in church, but was not a Christian. We were not churchgoers at, you know, at 27 years old. But here's something that remarkable that happened. It's the power, I believe, of us bringing our faith out into everything that we do, because in that whole process of trying to find a job and figure out what was next, three men surrounded themselves around me and mentored me and helped me figure out what I was good at, my strengths, my skills, and get a job that I loved. And that actually led to me starting my first company. But it was these three men, they were all believers. These guys connected with me, added value to my life. And then it was those three guys that led me to the Lord. And I would not have gone to church at that period of time. And God showed me just the power of showing up and bring as his ambassador, right? What's the definition of an ambassador, right? You are a registered agent of a sovereign nation to a foreign country. Think about that. When Christ says that we are called to be his ambassadors, right? Because there's this kingdom perspective. It's not just about the gospel of our salvation, which is, you know, kind of almost future looking, but it's also about the kingdom gospel, which is our role right now in the present on this earth. And anyway, looking back, it was that experience that really, I believe, set me on the path that that God wants me on. But that's what led me into business. But John, I don't know how you didn't turn that into anger towards God. I mean, here you were about to go in Top Gun. You'd worked all your life to get to this point, and all of a sudden, you're out. How did you deal with the anger? Good question, because at the time, you know, God was not part of my life, right? So I wasn't angry at God. I knew of God. But I got to tell you, when I, when I, uh, it was actually at a church service, these guys invited me to finally, and I, and I went forward. And when I was saying the prayer, I'll never forget this, Doug. I was standing there, accepting Christ into my heart. And I just felt like I was being filled, like black coffee was being replaced with this cool water. I was just sobbing and weeping uncontrollably. It was so powerful. And I felt my friend who invited me there, Jeff, come up and put his hand on my shoulder and squeeze my shoulder. And I turned over to say hi to Jeff and put my hand on him. And there was nobody there. It was the hand of Jesus that was on my shoulder. And I, it gives me goosebumps thinking about that moment. So moving forward after this experience, knowing that I had a friend and a partner. I didn't understand the nature of God at that point. I really struggled over many years of understanding of kind of separating my view of almost human men that I knew, right? I still always pictured Father God as the guy leaning back, looking down his nose, kind of judging what I did. Was it good enough, right? Have you done enough for me? Because that's what I always had to do in the past. I had to earn a hug, earn an affirmation, earn a reward. And so I had kind of translated that falsely into that's, you know, God's nature, right? A lot of the things I read in scripture is, well, this whole grace thing's awesome. I don't know if it applies to me. So you can kind of see some of the falsehoods there that were rattling around. But my so it, sounds, whole, it sounds like community 
really yep. helped you from falling into the pit of disparity. I mean, these three men sounded like they kept you from falling in that pit. If I had not met those men, and actually my wife and I just flew back to San Diego. I mean, this is 25 years later to have a reunion weekend with them. We've stayed in touch our whole lives and to thank them and their wives. It was the eight of us that got together for the impact that not only that they have had in our life, but what it has meant to bring God and Christ into our marriage and into our family, what it's meant to our kids, what this could mean generationally. And we were celebrating this just last fall in San Diego. So being in community is absolutely essential, I believe, to do this successfully. And I think that's one of the big things I learned pre-halftime, Doug. I got out of the Navy where, you know what, when we went and did a mission, a training flight, or a combat sortie, we always flew with a wingman, at least one. We were always together. You always had a buddy, right, a wingman. As I got into business and I started doing more and having more success and getting recognition and accolades and making more in the next promotion, I started, I drifted away. If God is my true north, right, I started slowly just kind of drifting away into really focusing on me and myself. And I think that is where I was right before I was introduced to halftime, which was in 2000. And uh, I think that was 2012. So I was pretty far away, right? Everything had become about me. At that but you, you had some pretty serious success, right? You, yeah, you, I had some great success. But, you know, when you have success outside of the context of meaning, right, if I'm pursuing success um, on the definition of significance given to me by others, does that make sense? Yep. Right? If others are like, hey, you know what, if you hit this level or you have this title or you're on this board or whatever it happens to be, I was looking for all of those things for meaning, for, I guess, validation. And you know what? That's hollow. Yeah, I can chase that my whole life. It's not going to connect to anything. Maybe, you know, a number of people out there feel the same way. But, uh, you know, when you're in that mode, like I got to tell you that I was, you know, from the outside in, I was at the top of my game probably right before I had my accident. I know we're going to talk about this in 2011, right? The home I was in just everything, right? But if you got to look behind the covers, my wife and I were struggling. She would tell you that if it hadn't been for the accident and the transformation that happened through the accident, we don't know if we'd still be married today. I don't know what my relationship with my kids would be. I don't know where I'd be personally. I was absolutely miserable. I didn't want to come home some nights. My wife didn't want me to come home some nights just because I was so grumpy. I'd created such a negative environment. And so the only thing I knew how to do at that time, Doug, was actually to just work harder. I'm like, well, something's broken. I don't know how to fix it, so I'm just going to do more. <laughs> I know I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, but I, my motto was I could outwork anybody around me. And so I just doubled down and worked harder, and that didn't fix the problem. I think a lot of us are guilty of that. But, John, in your situation, can you touch on the accident? Because, I mean, we're not talking a, a fender bender. No. So what happened was uh, 2011, I was working for a big Wall Street firm, big public company. And I left that to go start my own, another company with a couple friends in Denver. And I got involved in politics and met Dr. James Dobson, got invited to a retreat for a new ministry he was starting, went up to Montana. And on a Thursday, Friday, we're going to go horseback riding to the back of this property to go have lunch. And I was one of the first ones saddled 
and I have a picture of it here if you want me to pull it up. But if you have any horse people out there, I could probably do that for you. Yeah, jump in. I'd love to see it. Let's see here. I'll just kind of skip through some of these, everybody. So if you guys are looking at this and you know anything about horses, you can see this horse has his ears back and his chin down. And the reason I'm holding on to the rail is because he started walking forward and I pulled back on the reins and he started going backwards. And I didn't know horses could go backwards, by the way. So I, I'm from Minnesota. We have boats and docks and wind. So I grabbed <laughs> that rail and as he would go back and forth, I would just keep holding on to the rail until I finally got him in one spot. And I'm like, yes, I have controlled this animal. But little did I know, you can actually see that it's completely clear there behind me. And right down the direction that horse is looking about 80 yards away is a big series of paddocks with those same, same three-inch steel uh, bars. And he broke away from this fence and started trotting toward that hill. And all of a sudden, he just pivoted and turned 90 degrees to the right and bolted and took off. And I'm laying flat on my back, and his rump is pounding me in the shoulder blades. And I was scared to death I was going to flip off the back of this horse. So the only thing I knew to do was squeeze my legs as hard as I could. And in doing so, I was telling him to go faster. I didn't know this horse had been being trained to be a cutting horse. If people are familiar with horses, I was not. But they're pretty highly trained animals, and they respond to leg pressure. This horse didn't like me, first of all. Now I'm telling him to go fast, and he did. And I get my weight back up on the saddle, and I grab the reins to turn him, and he would not turn at all. I could, and I absolutely just started panicking. I, I mean, I've been in combat. I've been shot at. I've raised teenagers, three of them now. Nothing, nothing prepared. My head was spinning out of control. Like, I got to jump off this horse. If I jump off this horse, I'm going to die. If I, if I jump off the horse, I'll break my neck. I don't want to break my neck. And all of a sudden, we're about this, another fence line, just like the one you see here. I was a, mm, coming at it at a full-out, flat-out gallop. His hooves were thundering, winds in my face. Everything slows down. And I just remember thinking, this is not going to end well. And that's the last thing I remember. This horse goes into the fence, and he bucks so hard. He flips over and lands on his side backwards and slams into the fence, rum first. And I go head first into that steel bar. And it crushed the entire left side of my skull. I broke every uh, bone in my skull virtually except for my jaw and my right cheekbone. I lost eight teeth. I broke my neck in multiple places. I uh, broke and shattered my right shoulder. And then there's another bar just below that that hit me in the chest. So I actually broke four ribs and punctured my left lung. And I'm laying on the ground. This is a flight I didn't want to take. This is the life flight. It, it was an hour until I life flight came. And this woman Right here uh, in the with the ponytail and the orange shirt, she was next to me. She's an EMT, and uh, I woke up on the ground in more pain than I could even describe. She was holding my hand, and I could hear everybody praying, and I couldn't take it. I was screaming and yelling. My face was cut open. It was really hard for everybody around me. And just in that moment, all of a sudden, one of the guys there said, "I just saw you relax so completely. It looked like you were just sinking into the ground." and what happened was I, right then I was in God's presence. One of my friends said he felt like he should take off his shoes. And the first thing that I noticed was the intense and personal, unconditional love between Father God and me, John. And this is unlike anything I've ever experienced before. It changed my understanding of who God was immediately. Because somebody asked me, what, how would you have described him right in that moment? And the first and only word that came into my head, Doug, was friend. 
I'd never really understood Father God, maybe in that context, with this kind of love. And everything I've ever done in my past, good, bad, or otherwise, was not even relevant to the relationship that he already had with me that he wanted me to join him in. I mean, I'm just aware of all this right now. And the love was so powerful. I remember the first thought that crossed my head, I didn't realize my body was crushed, was I'm not worthy of somebody loving me like this. And then this peace was just washing over me like a physical presence. And all the pain and panic and fear were gone. And then he spoke to me, a voice that came from everywhere and nowhere. And it wasn't to my ears. It was almost like a consciousness flowing through me right here. And he said, all things work together for good for those that love the Lord. And so, Doug, I, I had drifted so far away that I didn't even know that came from Romans or even the Bible when, when he shared that with me. You could hear other people. This wasn't a dream. You could actually hear what was going on. You were present. Isn't that right? Oh, completely. Yeah, this was not in my head. This was not. People have asked me about that. But no, I was completely aware and conscious at this point. I was just in God's presence as part of what was happening around me. I could, this whole time I could feel her name's Lonnie holding my hand this whole time, people talking in addition to what I was experiencing with God at the same time. Because then he said, John, I'm going to heal you and use this for my glory. And then he said, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And as soon as he said that, I knew my left eye was permanently blind, which nobody could have known that at the time. And that's the case. My left eye is permanently blind. All the bones behind the eye socket shattered and severed the optic nerve. And I opened my eyes and I said calmly to everybody there, when God left, I said, God's here. You don't have to worry. He said, it's going to be okay. And they're like, this is impossible. My head's caved in. Lonnie did not even expect me to survive until life light showed up. And then the entire hour from hitting that fence till that helicopter ride, I was in no pain. I was talking normally. They they couldn't believe it when they first reached out to my wife. They're like, John got thrown off a horse. You need to kind of come up and bring him back to Denver. When they got to the hospital, they called my wife and said, you need to get up here with your kids because it doesn't look good because they didn't think I was going to survive. So what that led to, Doug, was six weeks in ICU, 20 months at Craig Hospital for a severe traumatic brain injury, 23 surgeries, two brain surgeries. I had to take my skull off twice. The recovery was not what I expected. So talk about anger. You talked about anger before. To realize, actually, God saved me, gave me the hope that there's a future, told me he was going to use this to his glory, told me all things do work together. And then there's times laying in bed where, honestly, the, the whatever they gave me, the dilated, the morphine, the oxycodone would wear off, and I had an hour and a half until I could take another dose. And I, my only goal was to get through the pain of five minutes. I'd look at the clock and just say, God, help me get into, you know, what is it, 1219 here, right? Lord, just help me to get through 1225. That's a win. But I got to tell you, I had a choice to make every day, to trust him and his promise, and to also keep an attitude toward the future. Because when I was at Craig Hospital, around a lot of people with spinal cord and brain injuries who did not make that choice. And I saw the depression and the despondency and the darkness in which they descended into. I tell you what, it really scared me. So and how many years ago was this, John? This was seven years ago. So and, I spent, Are uh, you still experiencing pain? Yeah, I'm never comfortable. My neck, upper back, right shoulder, nerve problems in my arm, fatigue. There's just a lot of things. But I wouldn't take back what has happened to me because of who I've become through it, Doug, for anything, honestly. I mean, it's a small price to pay 
to be a father, to be a husband, to get to do what I do in the world, to have conversations with amazing people like you in this community. So if this is the price I have to pay, then man, I feel very blessed and very fortunate that that's all I had to pay. So what did you do for all those months in the bed? I mean, you were in there how many months? Well, think about this, right? So uh, it was a lot of reading, a lot of listening to podcasts, trying to figure it out. Like I knew I couldn't go back to work. It was pretty clear. I was actually about a year into my recovery and a doctor, uh, I think he was trying to be kind, (laughs) but he said to my wife and I, he goes, hey, just to set expectations, John's not going to be able to work as a creator at Walmart. I'm like, wow, thanks, man. But, you know, for me, I took that as a challenge, Doug. So I read the Bible cover to cover. It was hard for me to read because of my vision. So I was more listening to things. But it was in that time I met uh, just a great friend, Brian Christman, and he goes, man, you need to read this book. And he hands me halftime. I'm like, dude, I got three of those at home. Literally, this was the fourth copy I'd now been given. Evidently, I should have taken the hint earlier. So it was actually the first book that I read after my accident because he didn't have an audio book and he didn't have a, right? So I, but I read it in the weekend and I'm like, what if, what is the possibility that all this has meaning and could move me into something more exciting than anything I ever imagined? I didn't understand before the accident that I could have rewritten my script. And now I'm like, well, I get this chance to rewrite my script. And that was kind of this false notion. And then um, Brian introduced me to Jeff Spatafora And we started working together and I came down to Dallas and that was kind of a hard weekend just with my energy and pain levels. But I got to tell you, that was transformative what came out of that weekend because it connected me to a vision and a mission statement that God just downloaded so clearly of equipping inspired leaders to work in my kingdom. Now, I didn't know at the time exactly what that meant, but I knew that I had a direction, if that makes sense, right? That's where I'm heading. How do I get there? What I do, I got to figure that out. I didn't have any anxiety about it. I didn't have any clarity. And I also had to realize that, you know what? I might never get clarity. But I cannot, I'll never find any sense of clarity unless I actually move into action. And the only action I could take was just little small steps forward. And I got to tell you, it was that action that begot the clarity that I needed to create what we're, what all the things that we're doing today. So that clarity, can you explain that? Is there a picture or a graph of something we can kind of understand? I mean, yeah, you're, you're starting over again. I'm starting over Literally. again. Let me share that. I'm going to pull this up because I wanted to share this with people. Because this is something, as I looked back over this whole process, all the coaching I did with Jeff and through halftime, and I got to tell you, doing this in community has been absolutely critical for me. I think one of the biggest differences between before and after halftime, before and after the accident was doing it solo and doing it in community. I meet every single week on Wednesday morning with my Pinnacle Forum, which has been an amazing blessing. Some men that have become some of my closest friends. I'm in touch with all the people at halftime. But here's kind of how I thought about it. I'm a really visual guy. And this is something I do with my clients now, too. So let's think about this. I'm going to put a couple things on here. First of all, we have to understand our passions. These things come from our heart. These give us our why. They give us our direction toward our purpose and our calling. And then on the other part of this graph, we have our gifts, our strengths, our talents, our skills. This is this whole area of kind of self-awareness, you know, what God wires to. This gives us the power, the energy 
the how to move toward that purpose and the calling. And here's why I think, because I'm an engineer also, so I was probably working in my gifts, strengths, and talents, but somewhere between a seven and eight when I was at that Wall Street firm. But in my passions, I was only at a three, Doug. If, and I got to tell you, though, because you and I talked about this. You brought up a good point. I would have told you if I did a poll back then, because I wouldn't want to admit it different, that I was probably an eight or a nine. But that's really not the case. And if I really looked at things from reality, seven times three is 21, right? And I want to live this 10-10 life, right? I want to get to 100. And look at this huge gap, this big area. This is destiny that I have left on the table. For me, this was, when Jeff and I were talking, and I just felt this tension, this stress, this like disconnect. And he shared that term, smoldering discontent. I'm like, oh, dude, that, like it so clicked. And here's why. Look at the massive gap between where I was and how I was operating, right? Now, here's something that I had to figure out, okay? First of all, I had to figure out some of my core values. I had to really honestly take that time. I had Lloyd on the podcast, and I asked him, what is the things that, in his opinion, people, when they go through halftime, do it most successfully? It's the, he goes, it's the people that slow down to really work on who they are and their spiritual growth, their spiritual development, right, their identity. Because think about this. I want to move up and to the right, right? And our being informs what we do, how we do it, because passions don't really have a value system per se, right? I could have a value system to be significant I could, or a passion to be significant. I could do a lot of different things to get known and be significant. Some of them are really good and some not so much. So we really have to understand this. But as I really tried to work, for me, uh, when I was starting here, Doug, I had to figure out this for myself, right? I'm kind of a simple guy. I'm like, okay, I need to expand the envelope, right? I was a pilot. We're always talking about pushing the envelope. You know, I need to go from to a seven to an eight or a three to a four. I need to grow it a little bit and I could think in small steps and what do I need to do to move toward my passions more? What do I need to do to get more in touch with my gifts, strengths, and my talents? And what I would share with you today through this whole process, and I know we don't have a lot of time to really dig into how to get here, but you know what, I'm sure this resonates with a lot of folks, is this is what it looks like for me today. I don't know if you can get to a 10. I'm one of those guys that never marks things 10 out of 10. But you know what, it's an aspirational goal. But I got to tell you, man, I feel like I am every day, regardless of how I feel or my health or what's going on, whether it's Sunday morning or Monday morning or Tuesday morning, I woke up this morning at 4.30 this morning to jump on the flight to come down here. I couldn't wait to get out of bed. I was so excited. And I met somebody amazing on the flight down here that I got to have this incredible conversation with. God is always doing stuff. Uh, it's led to us working with the Air Force and three of the top Fortune 50 companies, their leadership team, and I'm working with ministries. And we just got invited because we were down there in Dallas, and I'm going down to Rwanda with Dale Dawson and Marsha Gordon and me and my son are going and we're going to do some leadership training uh, that Dale asked us to do down there in Rwanda. I couldn't be more excited about that. But Doug, you asked, we were talking everybody yesterday, Doug and I, as we were kind of going through this, and Doug had an insight that I thought was really powerful because here's what's happening. 
as we are working on transforming our mind to the mind of Christ, we are really understanding the nature of God, developing a relationship, and then we're drawing nearer to him. Doug, would you mind sharing that insight that you had? Because I thought it was really powerful. Well, I think you're giving me more credit than I'm due. But my (laughs) question was, is because I thought this box was so clear to me, but now it looks full. And so my question to you is, is the scale fixed? I mean, does it have to stay fixed or does it keep growing as we grow? You know, do we we have turtles in the house. And my understanding is they won't get any bigger than the aquarium that they're in. And so that's their box. (laughs) That's right. So the question is, does God make our box bigger? And how does he do that? Are there people that help us make the box bigger? Yeah, and I think that happens in community and relationship with him. And uh, so there was times where I felt like I'd receded, maybe in working in my passions and my strengths. And when you shared this to me, Doug, yesterday, you know what it was, is I'd, I'd gotten to a certain point, and then all of a sudden, God made the box bigger. So relative to the potential or where God sees what I can do, where I'm at, might feel like the gap got bigger, but no, what it is, is now there's room for growth. There's room for something new. There's room for him to build on a passion that exists. Clarity on how he wants me to use my gifts or my strengths or my talents, maybe differently in a new season. And so it's this constant, evolving, exciting process. So John, we are at the bottom of the hour. We're going to Feel these out. These webinars are new, but we're going to start out trying to keep them the uh, delivery portion of this to 30 minutes. Okay. And so, John, do you have kind of a closing comment? And then we're not leaving right away because we've got a question and answer field. So for those of you that are interested and John, just before you give your closing comments, let me tell you where our audience is. In the poll, 53% are at a seven. They feel like they know their passions and they're working on them with what little margin that can be allowed. And that is by by far the strongest group that we have there. So in particular, in your closing comments before we move to the questions, how would you uh, suggest people not only find how to fill out their box and figure out where they are, but how to expand it? Oh, can I tell a quick story? Of course. Okay. I was uh, meeting with a friend of mine, and we were talking about this concept. He's the CEO of a company that had about uh, 350 employees. And, and I said, man, what are you passionate about? And here's the first thing he said, Doug, fly fishing. I mean, like, boom, like it, it was spring-loaded. I'm like, okay, what is it about fly fishing that you're passionate about? He goes, man, it's the time I'm alone. I get to be with God and talk with him. And it's just really a precious time for me. I said, that's awesome. So one of the things you're passionate is finding a place where you can be in nature, be alone, talk with God. I said, what else? He started sharing this story about volunteering for uh, Healing Waters, which is a ministry that works with wounded veterans, brings them to the mountain to fly fish. And man, he just lit up his energy when he was talking about teaching them how to fly fish helping them to catch a fish for the first time. A lot of these guys are, you know, in bad shape physically, mentally. And the smiles, as he described, the smiles on their faces, they're holding the trout before we released it back and taking the picture. Those are all the pictures that are on his, uh, in his office. 
I'm like, whoa, dude, you just tapped into something. What, what would you say you're passionate about there? And what he landed on was that he was passionate about helping people teach us, you know, learn a skill that was going to be part of, you know, something that helped them in their world, their life, move forward, create enjoyment. And I said, what else is going on? He goes, you know what? When I'm not with the Wounded Warriors, I actually, I rarely actually go fishing alone, even though that was my first thought. I bring up my son or my business partner or somebody I work with, and we sit there all day long and just have deep, meaningful conversations. And I get to mentor people one-on-one. So think about that. From fly fishing, all of a sudden, he pulled out three or four things that he's totally passionate about. And then I said, okay, what would it look like? Because he wasn't about to leave his company or sell his company. That was not on the, in the near future. What would it look like to bring that in? What if you, you look at this graph that's up, that was up before, right? What if we just move that into your passions to the right? And when he kind of plotted this, he felt he was at about an eight and a five. So what's that, 40%? He moved to 9-9 and never moved out of his chair in the corner office as CEO, but he reshaped over about six months his role in that company, how he showed up, how he was using his strengths, gifts, and talents. So maybe that's as good a way to illustrate it as I can think of, Doug, but I think you need to take time, and I don't think you can sit there and do it alone with a, a pad of paper and a journal. Maybe some people can, but that's I can't. I need somebody to kind of help me pull some of these things out and connect the dots personally. Well, I just want half your energy, John. I mean, you were up at 4.30 in the morning, right? (laughs) Yeah, as soon as we're done here, I'm going to take a nap and then go to a baseball game. (laughs) Oh, well, that sounds like a good day. Yeah. Well, that is one inspiring story, and I would encourage everybody that can to hang on because we're going to go into the question and answer after this, and this gives you a chance to submit a question in the Ask a Question field and ask John a question, and he will answer it right here on screen. You'll also get an email with a link to that answer. In June, we will have another webinar, this with Lloyd Reeve, on leveraging your second half. This is a series of webinars that we're doing with Lloyd Reeve. Everyone that registered will get an email with a link to the recording, John's ebook, and links to the Facebook group. And John, tell us a little bit about what you're offering as far as the book goes, because we've got a link there to it. Yeah, if you guys sign up for that, I'm just going to send you my ebook I wrote on just how to really get in touch with your core values. You're not going to be on our newsletter or any marketing that we do at all. If you want to do that, just go to eternalleadership.com. You can opt in for all that. I'd love to get the book out in as many people's hands as we can. Love the halftime community. Love to get you a copy of my book when it comes out. So when you just sign up for that, you'll be on a list and I'll let you know when it comes out. Our goal is to, we're going to have about a week where it's going to be free on Amazon just to get, you know, people to get the book in their hands and reviews. And those windows are kind of hard to miss or easy to miss. So we'll let you guys all know so you can get a free copy of the book, you know, when it first comes out. So I'd love to have you guys as part of that. And that's the best time way for them to get in touch with you, I guess. Yeah, or you can just email me. I'm happy to always, it's uh, john at eternalleadership.com, J-O-H-N at eternalleadership.com, and I'd love to hear from anybody. I keep uh, appointments in my calendar every week for people that just reach out and just want to have a conversation. Okay. Well, we've had a huge crowd, and we're going to continue on. John, do you have time for a few more questions? Looks like we got three at the moment. I do. Yes, sir. Okay. For those of you that have to leave, 
feel free. We appreciate you coming. Look forward. We're going to be doing at least one or two of these per month. So these are going to be a lot of fun, and I hope they'll always be inspiring. I look forward to your feedback. Also, do you like the 30-minute window for the presentation? Would you rather it be a little longer? I know I would have liked to stretch this one a little longer. So we're going to move right into the questions, John, if that's okay. Sure. So the first one is, now that you have a second half that is fully engaged with your gifts and passions, how is this impacting those around you? Well, you know, I'll start with my wife. When we walk down the street holding hands, uh, I feel like I'm dating my best friend again. My son, John, who's 21, just joined my company. He reached out to me and said, Dad, I really want to work with you. Not for you. He said, I want to work with you. And I got to tell you, he's bringing just incredible energy. My 20-year-old son has a year and a half old grandson. And I think they honestly made a lot of choices in high school around keeping a child. I got to tell you, even at a Christian high school, the pressure to not keep the baby when I heard all these stories afterwards was really disconcerting. I got to tell you. Um, so we've gotten involved in a crisis pregnancy center in Denver. I'm volunteering my coaching time to work with their team and their staff so they can, because they had a role to play in making a great decision in our opinion, because we got an amazing grandson and he and I have developed an amazing relationship and he had some rocky times and I'm down here with my 15 year old son. You can see that family is important. But I think the other thing too is my relationships in the business world went from looking at you from somebody that what can you do for me? Can you open a door? Can you bring me a deal? Right? Everything always had this almost this little internal test. Like, you know, when you're having a, at a networking thing and the person you're talking to, you can tell they're looking around the room as they're talking to you because you know you didn't rise up to their standard of some. And now yep. it's, you know what? My entire, I think, MO is like, how can I serve and add value to everybody around me knowing that God is going to be faithful in providing all my needs? I don't have to worry about what you might or might not do, who you might or might not connect me to. I'm there to serve you. And in doing that, it's all going to come full circle. And I got to tell you, for me, it's been such a liberating way to live that I could have easily chosen to live that way prior to the accident. But it's also for me in my life now, the friendships that I have at such a deep level with so many people is one of the most rewarding parts of my life. So you went from smoldering discontent and a rocky marriage yep to enjoying your life and living it fully yes i would say that today i am living think about john 10:10 10, 10, right christ said i came to give you life so that you may live it to the full right and what did he say about satan the thief he comes to kill and destroy and take that from you i had been allowing him to do that today i am on the other side of that equation and I'm living life fully alive. And I think that is a place, I got to tell you, I've talked to so many leaders. And one of the things that comes up when we're first getting to know each other is, you know what, I, and this is their words, I have not prompted this. And I can tell you, it's whether they're Christians or not, but I'm not living life alive. I'm not living life fully alive, or I'd like to live life more alive, but I don't know what it looks like. I have no idea how to get there. I just know I don't have it, but I want it. So if your box is partially filled, that's the way to live life fully. That's right. You got, yep. You got to figure out how to, right. And do it with others, right? Yeah. 
I love that box. You know, I do. (laughs) Yeah. Especially for men, right? And I think, you know, it comes natural in the halftime community, but just being okay to be extremely vulnerable. If you're willing to rip the veneers off and really connect to the identity, your identity in Christ, sharing the things that you might feel really uncomfortable or awkward with, you know, people that you trust is a completely different conversation. And it needs to happen. Now, John, this next question is a tough one. So if you could do this all over again, what do you wish you had known about yourself and God? Hmm. You That's want to come back one. to it? Well, no, it's a tough one because you don't get do-overs. True. Right? I think what I would share with somebody, I think one of the most important things for me to understand, right, that I did not understand back then, and I didn't have any discipleship in my life, right? It was really to understand the nature of God and have been working even back then on really my connecting to my identity at the core, who God created me to be. But I didn't have any awareness of the importance of that at that time. So I don't even know if somebody had approached me and said, we got to work on this, what my response would have been. It probably would have been, I'm too busy. Right? I don't think I would have been dismissive or derisive, but I would, well, dismissive is the wrong word, but I don't think I would have been condescending, but I think I probably was saying, well, interesting. But, but you might Indeed. wish you had a stronger relationship with God earlier in your life. Is that? Well, I had a, a, well, yeah, I, you know, I think the whole thing for me has just been part of preparing me for what I'm doing now. I think if I had any do-overs or resets, I would be a different person. Yeah, and who I am now, covered in, you know, the master's robes, right? I'm like, you know, I feel like the prodigal son that I came home and he was waiting for me. He was, he was looking way off, like John's coming down the road. We're gonna have a party, right? That's each one of us, right? And I got to take my nasty, dirty robes off and put his robe on. So I don't know. <laughs> that was a tough one. I told you. I warned you. Okay, <laughs> we got another couple good questions. What happened to push you into living more fully in your next season? You know, was there, you described it as smoldering discontent, but what was it it took to push you into doing something about that smoldering discontent? Laying in the hospital bed, right? Recovering, you know, just to be real, right? Going, I don't want to go back to that. I've never even come close to the paycheck I had back then since the accident, but I wouldn't go back to how I was making the paycheck and who I was for anything. And I think it was being able to have the comparison and the contrast, right? And also when you're in God's presence and you feel this love and you understand his nature and that he has plans for me, I would rather be part of that regardless of what the journey entails, right? the highs and the lows. It's not always going to be easy. It's not always going to be fun. It's not always, you know, God doesn't say it's going to be enjoyable all the time, right? Guarantee of Paul and Silas were not having fun after they got beat and thrown in jail, right? But they were worshiping. They were singing. I got to tell you, that really stuck in my craw as I read that. I'm like, okay, God, I want that. I, that's another place. I don't know how to get that kind of joy internally in my life that they're experiencing sitting there bleeding and bruised and hurt and singing. 
Okay. But I want to be like that. And so in, in case to push you into living, it took something serious. It took an accident in your case. Is that? Yeah, I would not. I, God probably knew that. I don't think he caused the accident. I really don't. No, I understand. But he didn't prevent it. Right. I mean, I mean, he easily could have prevented it. But I really believe that he knew for me that's probably what I needed, maybe. But he also, you know, through, I mean, I shouldn't be here. I mean, we had multiple doctors share with us that what happened to me literally physically was not survivable. I had a doctor come back to his faith and share this with me just a couple of years ago, just watching me recover, who's never had any mm -hmm. conversations with me. Because he looked at me medically and said, that's not possible. And best case scenario, he said, you should have been like Christopher Reeves. Because I broke C2 and C3 all the way up here. I should have. So I don't know if that answers your question. I felt like I was kind of wandering off there. but Well, it was a tough question. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> just for the audience benefit, remind me how many months you were in the hospital. I was in ICU for six weeks and then 20 months um, at Craig Hospital. And then when I got discharged, I when I got discharged, I literally could work eight hours a week. I would go into work. My wife would have to drive me down three days a week for just a couple hours. I was trying to get back to the company we had started. And after a year, I'd gotten up to 15 hours a week. And I could not do the job. And my partners were amazing. They were gracious. They were, and they're still close friends. But we all came to the conclusion, like, this is not working. And I'm like, yeah, and I don't know if my heart's in it anyway, even if I could, to go back and run a financial services company. And that's actually what led me into coaching. That's about the time that I actually connected with Brian and Jeff, and that's actually what led me into starting the coaching because then I could actually go out and work with just a few people. Like I'd have to go out in, in the beginning, Doug. Like This is where God wanted me to go. I could go, let's say, meet with you for an 8 o'clock coffee till nine, I would have to go schedule an hour where I'd go to my car and sleep for an hour, set my alarm for oh, 45 minutes. I'd have a second meeting and then I would have to go home for the next day and a half to recover from that. That's how with a brain injury, it takes a lot more energy to do the same things that you used to do, right? It's like there's a, like you put a brand new flashlight and a battery and it should last all summer, but I had a short in my flashlight and the battery would just drain empty by the end of the day. So it was in that mode that we started, you know, stepped out on faith to support my family. My wife couldn't go back to work. She was a physical therapist. She'd been a stay-at-home mom so long, her medical license had lapsed. So her and I decided, you know what, if this is where God's leading us, we're just going to trust him. This is a good segue, if I can interrupt you. Yeah. The next question is from Christopher, and he asked, so how does a high-income breadwinner transition to a life of significance without great financial risk? Or stated another way, is there a transition period where you have to focus on both missions? Christopher, if we were sitting together, I would ask you what your definition of significance is. How do you personally view that? Uh, my friend who I shared about, the fly fisherman, completely as he connected to his passions and his gifting and did not change his role, transformed the culture of that organization, developed leaders. He'd already been doing a small Bible study in that organization, but it blossomed after that. He is through the, and then he brought in uh, philanthropy and what they do as a part of the culture. And that company here in Denver 
has been a huge catalyst for some very positive change and influence on lives of both uh, in everything's kingdom, right? But both, uh, you know, people in the kind of the church world and, you know, the traditional world. So I don't know. It's a good question. I'd have to, you know, probably a longer conversation. But here, let me let me look at your question again, buddy. Uh, Say so another way: Is there a transition period? You have to focus on both missions. Possibly, one of the guys who I got to work with, uh, I met him through our podcast. He was the CEO of one of the largest structural engineering architectural firms in New England, and that's not where he wanted to continue. So he actually started doing projects on the side, low cost probes writing, creating content. And what he realized was, is he actually created a following. He actually left his job. He built a bridge and he'd gotten some clients on the side and to see if he really liked it and he loved it. And he built some, you know, uh, content that's specifically for leaders in that industry. Everything is all biblically based that he's doing. And that is not what he's been doing now full time for the last year. He just wrote a book that was a bestseller. And so I think it's different for everybody. I think everybody's journey, I think that's the cool thing about what you learned at halftime, getting to know the alumni, is everybody's journey is different. What do you think, Doug? Well, I was just going to ask you, though, there's an implied aspect, I think, to Christopher's question, or I'm reading it into it, and Christopher might not have intended it, but it's implied as if you have to leave the business world to be in the mission world or to follow your mission, and is it possible to continue to stay in the business world, the financial world, for example, and work your purpose? We just got back from Ireland. My son was over there for a semester abroad, and we went to the Guinness Brewery, and there's an amazing book called God and Guinness. To this day, five generations later, he is revered in Ireland, Guinness is, right? He changed how people were paid and treated at work through his calling, which was business as a brewer. Now, it doesn't really kind of line up. And I was able to have Horst Schultz, uh, who founded Ritz-Carlton on my podcast, and had an amazing conversation with him. Do you know that their entire ethic behind customer service comes from love God with all your heart and love your neighbor? He's a really strong believer in the entire vision. He knew that his mission field was the hospitality industry. And he worked in a couple of those areas, and he wanted to bring that ethos, that love God and love others, into how he did everything when he started in the industry all the way up to getting the opportunity to buy his first hotel into what he built as Ritz-Carlton. was completely driven. So, yeah, I think actually the highest influence and impact that we can have in, our, in any culture, any nation, is actually in the business sphere. It is the engine and the driver for everything else. One of the things it requires of us is excellence. So it's uh, so Christopher's question implies binary, yeah. one or the other. And I think what you're hearing is that's not necessary. Maybe it's you need to change the perspective of your business to be more missional focus. Is that? Yeah, or how who you are as you're showing up in that business, like yeah. Michael did. So I think there's kind of like three paths, and actually there's probably more. The first one is, do I re-engineer how I show up in my mission, where I'm at right now in my seat? Do I do a low-cost probe and actually figure out, okay, this is actually where I want to be. It's fulfilling, but there's a gap. There's something missing. I do a low-cost probe to find those areas to fill the gap. Or maybe I realize this is not what I'm meant to be, kind of like what happened to me. I was kind of forced to make a pivot. 
Now, I could have gotten back into industry, but I chose not to. I mean, that was a choice that I made. I could have stayed. My partners would have let me come back there, but I just knew in my heart that's not where I was meant to be. That does not make it a right, what I did, a right or a wrong. So don't, please don't hear any judgment at all on that. And Vince just said his passion is helping returning veterans and their families connect with their purpose and passion and start a new meaningful life and career. And I love what you do, Vince. It's so, you know, because when people connect with their purpose and their passion and they're working in that area, you know what it gives us is it gives us hope. And I got to tell you, hope is the one thing that kept me moving forward. And I know some of these veterans coming back and they've been through stuff that a lot of us can't even relate to. And just to having that little ember, that little flicker of hope as we take those small step forwards, man, that is a powerful difference maker. Well, that was a great question, Christopher. So uh, <laughs> you guys are coming up with some wonderful ones. And now we've got one from actually Vince. So how do you maintain margin or life balance while serving in your passion? I did not have it before. So I think I was very sensitive to it. I don't know if there is such a thing of work-life balance. I've actually come to the personal opinion that I think that's actually a bit of a myth because when I need to be all in for something God has me doing, I need to be out of balance. But if I know why in a season and can communicate that to my wife and my kids and they're part of it, it's very different before than me just going off to work 70 hours a week. But I also, because of my injuries, Vince, I had to be very cognizant of my energy level and actually manage my schedule very uh, intentionally so that I didn't get overtired. When I got overtired, and I still do, just last night I was overtired and I was word finding and I couldn't think of a phrase. I couldn't, I was trying to think of, I was trying to put doing it now, uh, seasoning on a steak and I couldn't think of the word pepper. It was not there. It was gone. So I still have to be careful. But what I've done is as I've actually created a little more bandwidth, as I slowly recover, I've actually kind of kept that same margin and I'm very protective of it because I've, I've had to make the important things important. And what that is for me is for my family, right? God, my wife and my kids and serving others. And I used to kind of have serving myself, then others. And I had all that stuff ahead of my family which is what caused the problems. So if I'm hearing you right, it's you're sensitive to your margin. So if you're going to add something to your life, you try and move something off. Is that part of maintaining that balance? Yeah, uh, that's a great point. I think, you know, if you really understand your passions, you really understand that, you know, if you go back to that chart, that purpose and that calling and you understand your gifts, you have to have an awareness. Everything you say yes to, you're saying no to something. Mm -hmm. you're saying no to something else and you have to create a framework on how you're going to make decisions. One of my clients was on seven boards. He was totally stressed out. His marriage at home was not going well. And I'm like, why are you on these boards? What does that do for you? Well, it's because they asked, right? Well, when he went through an exercise like this and we can all do it, he actually resigned from five of those seven boards, was very clearly able to tell them why he was resigning and now, and like when people call me and say, hey, would you be willing to do this or speak here or be on this board? And I'm like, that doesn't fit in with what I'm building right now, but I really appreciate the offer. I got to tell people, people thank me for having the clarity of actually giving them a firm no instead of stringing them out. Let me think about it. 
so here's my filter, and I, I work with the coach. I have an amazing woman who's my coach. We look at everything that's in front of me and just say, does this move me forward? If I say yes to this, what am I saying no to? If I say no to this, what does that leave me you know, space to say yes to something else in the future? So it is a constant thing. I really can't, like I said, I'm, I'm a huge fan of doing some of these things in community, but that's how I... You know, there, I would recommend, uh, who, I can't remember who asked that, uh, maybe it was you, Vince. There's a great book called Essentialism. It's called Less But Better. It's by Greg McEwen. I had him on my podcast. That book was fantastic in just this whole area on actually some practical tools and strategies on actually how to do some of the things that we just talked about. And that might be a good link to share in our subsequent follow-up email. Vince, yeah. that was a phenomenal question. We have one last one, John, if you've got time, and it's almost right at the top of the hour. So if everybody will hang in for just a minute, we'll take this last question. So, John, tell us a little bit more about eternal leadership and beyond influence and how we can stay in touch with you and what you're doing. Uh, just email me. Uh, I can't pronounce your name. Char I'm going to have to go with Charles there, right? He said that their mission is very similar to what I shared to equip and empower the next generation of youth. Uh, you know, reach out to me, Charles, uh, anybody on the call, John at eternalleadership.com. You can go to eternalleadership.com is our website and sign up for our newsletter and you'll get all the notifications about our podcasts and things that we have going on. And so if I can serve you guys or connect you to somebody in my network, let me know. I'd love to just be a, a blessing to you guys. Well, Thanks, with that, <laughs> with that, that's the end of our webinar. John, thank you so much for giving me so much time to do this and gracing us with your presence and wisdom and inspiring stories. So this was fantastic. For everybody in the audience, wow, you've taken an hour of your time. We appreciate you sharing that hour with us. John, we had almost nobody drop off the webinar for the second part. So you, <laughs> you know how to hold an audience. And we have more of these coming. Uh, we're going to have more with alumni, but we also have one coming up the, uh, with Halftime's Lloyd Reeb. And Lloyd is the spokesman for the Halftime organization. And everybody that has registered will get an email with links to the webinar. You can share those to others. You'll also get links to the book. The, the ebook and other information that John has. I think John's going to include that link to the uh, podcast that he mentioned that was worth living, uh, worth listening to. And again, we appreciate all your time. John, thank you for your time. Audience, we thank you so much. Your time. Technology, we're glad that worked because we had a glitch right before we started. Mm -hmm. So prayer is certainly answered in this case. So with everybody, bye-bye. Have a great day. Bye, John. See y'all.